everyone. My name is Sheila, and I'm one of the Connect Group leaders here at HDBB. I'd just love to start off by saying Happy Christmas. I hope you had a wonderful celebration yesterday and in this past month. I have definitely thoroughly enjoyed all of the Christmas services here at HDBB. And if you haven't had a, had a chance to watch it, I'd seriously encourage you to catch up online and share it with all your friends. Well, we've come to the end of another year. Although with the pandemic, it does feel like last year and this year have kind of blended into one long year. I recently had a conversation with a friend and she was like, you know, in lockdown, um, it feels like the, the years just don't count and the days just don't count. And I was just like, I don't think it works that way because we definitely are still aging through the lockdown. I mean, I have all the body aches to prove it. But also, I'd like to think that lockdown or no lockdown, the days do count because each day is a new day where God is at work, no matter how much our lives may have felt like it was on pause. One of the key messages in the book of Colossians, which we are about to read today, is precisely this. Paul writes to the church in Colossae to encourage them to anchor themselves in Christ. And he says that living in Christ is a continual daily process of renewal as we keep turning towards Christ and following his ways. The Colossian church was a young church who heard the gospel from, from Paul's friend. And in these early days of learning about the gospel message, they were getting influenced by other religions within their community, as well as these strong heretical voices that were corrupting the gospel message. The key opposition voice was that faith in Jesus was not enough for their salvation. And Paul wrote this letter to help the church understand who Jesus is and to encourage the young church in their faith um, and to say that their faith was indeed enough. He then talks about our lives and how our lives can be transformed as a result of this faith, which is where we find ourselves in the passage today. So I'm going to read through Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's the last Sunday of the year, not sure if you've noticed that. And I don't know about you, but usually in the final kind of couple of weeks every year, I try to get into the habit of um, reflecting on my year. I ask myself questions about highlights, lowlights, where I think I've grown, where I want to do better in, and of course, where has God moved in my life and um, what is He doing in my life at the moment? Following that, I usually try to have a bit of a think about the year to come and uh, prepare myself for what's next. I'm not super formal about it. I know some people have very structured year-end reflections, uh, but I at least you know, just try to block out some time to ponder. And as I read through this passage, I thought that it actually gives us a really good framework for doing a year-end reflection. 
Um, and it's uh, rooted in this idea of continual renewal and transformation in Christ. And so I thought that today, being the last Sunday of the year and all, could be kind of about that. You know, taking a moment to pause and ponder on some questions to propel us into 2022, come what may. The structure of these verses, uh, and hence how we will structure the reflection today, is built around three anchors. The first one is an inward anchor, and that is about identity and character. The second is an outward anchor, that is about how we relate to other people and live within community. And finally, upward, an upward anchor, and that is about how we deepen our faith and let, um, and let that lead our inward and outward development. It's such a great structure. The Bible is just brilliant that way. Um, and to make it easier for us, I came up with this uh, acrostic that spells R-E-F-L-E-C-T. can also be sung to the Aretha Franklin song. Um, but it spells reflect. Uh, because it's supposed to help us to reflect uh -huh, uh, on the year and in these remaining five days of 2021. So let's dive in. So the first inward reflection, R, is for remember your identity. Verse 12 starts off with this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Paul says, as God's chosen people, holy and loved. The word as here implies that these things are true first. Uh, Paul emphasizes the order in which our transformation happens. He says it's faith first, then faith works itself into our lives. Through our faith, we are made right with God. And Paul, he needed to emphasize this because there were some people within the Colossian community that were propagating a sense of legalism particularly associating holiness with adherence to certain rules and rituals. And this became really confusing for the church and posed a burden on this young church because it felt like there was so much more that they needed to do for their salvation. We are not made holy through our ability to externally portray uh, an exemplar holy life. And I wonder whether you've ever tried to create an identity for yourself. You know, maybe you went for a job interview and felt like you had to dress or speak a certain way. Or maybe you were meeting your partner's parents for the first time and um, wanted to make a very specific first impression. Or perhaps it was a new community that you were entering into and you wanted to curate an image for yourself. I know when I was just starting out working, I was really self-conscious about my age, especially when having to give presentations or when having to have conversations with clients. And I felt like I needed to portray myself as older and smarter through the way that I dressed in order to gain favor or respect. Paul says this isn't how it's like with God. Our relationship with God is a lot more like, kind of like being born into a family. You know, from the moment you're born, you're already given the label as daughter or son. You didn't need to do anything. Uh, that's just what you are by virtue of being born. And so he says it's the same. By virtue of having that faith in Jesus Christ, we receive an identity first. Chosen, holy, and loved. And then we behave in a way that's befitting to that identity instead of behaving in a certain way in order to create an identity for ourselves. So here's a reflection question for this first point. On what merit do I define myself? 
You know, is it by how good a parent or friend or, or, or worker I am? Uh, is it by how others uh, talk about me or what they say about me? And how does this impact how we make choices daily? And as we think honestly about this and start to lay out the labels uh, that we have used to form our identity, perhaps take a moment to surrender this to God. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong by trying to be the best parent, friend, employee, sibling, partner, etc. But the danger lies in us drawing our value from these things. And in this time of reflection, allow God to remind you of your value. You are enough. God chose you. This wasn't your idea. And as we reflect, we have to remember that we steward that gift that we have received first from God. The second inward reflection, E, is for embody. Verse 12 continues on saying, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Some context to this verse, chapter 3 in Colossians is all about how we live in light of our faith. So before this particular passage, because it starts in verse 12, from verse 1 to, to 11, Paul talks about leaving a life of sin behind us. He, makes this, he creates this non-exhaustive list of behaviours that we begin to shed um, as we allow God to transform us. He gives examples like things like sexual immorality, greed, anger, malice, and a few others. But he doesn't leave us hanging because he says, take off all of these old sinful ways and then let us clothe ourselves with this new way of living life. And that's when he gives us this short list of virtues. And I love that Paul used the word clothe because here's the thing about clothes. We put them on daily. But perhaps this analogy breaks down a little bit in this pandemic when some of us are maybe in one type of clothes daily called the pajamas. And don't you deny that this didn't happen to <laughs> some of you. But yes, Paul knows that the struggle is real. The list can feel impossible, but he says it's about a daily intentional activity. But also, reading this list got me thinking about how we grow in these virtues. And it dawned on me that often, the situations that enable us to grow in such, such virtues are the situations where when we are in them, it's really uncomfortable. We grow in compassion by immersing ourselves in injustice. We grow in kindness by choosing goodness and graciousness even when it's hard. We grow in humility by reducing attention on ourselves. We grow in gentleness by not exerting dominance, even when we want our way. And we grow in patience through seasons of waiting. I mean, patience is like the easiest example of this, right? There's a prayer that I read once. It said, Lord, give me patience, but please give it to me quickly. And how often do we pray such prayers, wanting to grow in character, um, but not realizing that the answer to these prayers are situations that challenge and shake and push us out of our comfort zone. And so the key reflection question for this section is just this. How has God used the challenging moments in this year to help me grow in these virtues? And perhaps as we reflect on these, let's give thanks, but also continue to ask God to fill us with the capacity and perseverance to keep pursuing these virtues daily in the year to come.
moving on to a few outward reflections. So next is F, and F is for forgive. Forgive as God forgives. Verse 13 reads, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In this verse lies good news and bad news. The bad news first. All of us will probably fall short sometimes in trying to embody all of those traits earlier. The good news? God knows. Why is this good news? Because He gave us a process to make up for that lack. And that process is forgiveness. Bear with each other. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd be particularly keen if someone were to say to me, I'm bearing with you. And yet this is the language that Paul use, uses. Uh, immediately after listing out all these virtues, he quickly slips this in and says, as if to say, uh, well, yeah, you know, we're not all going to be able to do this all the time. But so when we aren't able to, we need to bear with each other. But then not just bear with each other, we need to forgive. The verse says to forgive as God forgave us. What does this model of forgiveness look like? If we go back a chapter and read a verse, a couple of verses in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, it says this, He, that is God, forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Paul says that God's forgiveness meant that we no longer owed a debt for our sin. And so let's reverse engineer this a little bit to think about what does that then mean? What does that mean for unforgiveness? Unforgiveness is holding on to the penalty um, that we want the other person to pay for what they have done. At its core is this idea of you took something away from me and so now I'm going to withhold something from you and that is my forgiveness. But God's model of forgiveness is the complete opposite of withholding. It's anchored in the releasing and in the letting go of what we think is rightfully ours. It's about letting go of that right to repayment, uh, to revenge or to resentment. And this is the same kind of description of forgiveness that psychologists say is the beginning of healing. When we are able to deliberately decide to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards those who have wronged us. Such is God's design for us and for this world. We think that we cope with hurt by withholding forgiveness we think that they don't deserve. But the reality is that we heal from hurt by freely giving out that forgiveness. And so when we think about this area of forgiveness, perhaps a good question to ask ourselves this year end is just a simple, whether there is anyone I need to forgive. And perhaps for some of us, this might even mean the ability to forgive ourselves. God forgives everyone. And it's a big ask for us to be able to do the same. But if He calls us to it, it means that it's possible. And perhaps not in our own strength and ability, but by inviting the Spirit to be our enabler, helping us to receive forgiveness from God and then extend it to others. 
So we've done R for remember, E for embody, F for forgive, and so the next is L, and L is for love. Put on love. Verse 14 reads, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. If by now we're wondering how on earth are we going to sustain all of the above, Paul continues on to say that it's love that binds all these things together. In English, there are many ways that we use the word love. I mean, we say things like, I love chocolate, but we also say things like, I love my family, I love my co-workers, I'm in love. It's all the same word. But in Greek, they actually have different words for love. And the word used here in this passage is agape love. Agape love is used to describe God's love for the world. It's a sacrificial love that is concerned with the greatest good for another person, unconcerned with the self. It is a love, it is that love that compelled Jesus uh, to die on the cross for all of us. And this is the type of love that we are called to extend to others. And often when I try to picture what this love looks like, I tend to go back to a passage in 1 Corinthians 13. And you might be familiar with it because it has made its way into many weddings and many Instagram inspirational posts. I'm just going to read it out really quickly for us. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Even though this is commonplace in weddings, the definition of, this definition of love um, was actually used to describe the love that we should have for each other in community. And what is distinct here is that this agape love is not born of emotions or feelings or attraction. It's described as this active verb. The words used in that, uh, the verses I read just now from 1 Corinthians, it's all action and it's active. Um, and it's born out of choice. It's not the love we show when we have butterflies in our stomachs and things are easy. It's the love we still choose to show when someone's left the dishes unwashed or is late for the hundredth time in the hundredth day or when, you know, being there for a friend means a sacrifice of our time. Paul is saying that it is through these daily choices to love, that's what binds all the virtues together. In particular, during these last couple of years where we have been reg regularly separated from people, I felt that for myself, this area of love is, is something, which is something that's clearly relational. I've just needed to think about it a little bit more and bring it more to my awareness. And so some questions that you might want to think about in thinking, in reflecting on the year could be, firstly, you know, how has God shown his love towards you this year? Um, but also secondly, how can I grow in my capacity to love others in the coming year? The next letter, we've got another E in the word reflect, and this E is for embrace. Embrace one another in community. Verse 15 reads, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. There's three aspects of this verse that I think are useful for us to understand what Paul is trying to say. So first is that he addresses this in the plural. The words your and you and one body is Paul referring to the collective, meaning that 
the peace that he's describing here is the broader sense of peace, not just a personal inner peace, but it includes an interpersonal peace that characterizes the community. Secondly, it's the word rule. He said, let this peace rule in our hearts. And the word for rule here, it means to be an umpire, to judge, decide, or govern. And so in, I'm just thinking like, you know, in events where, what do you need an umpire for? So in, in events where there can be maybe multiple ways to speak or act or behave, peace is meant to be our referee, where we choose the path where peace will be maintained. And thirdly, it's the word called. Peace is a calling. Maintaining peace with others is not just this nice to have, it's central to who we are as a community. The church is instrumental in advancing God's work on earth. And so it's not just that we are striving to live harmoniously together, but rather that our peace is anchored in Christ. In Christ, we are no longer separated by our differences, uh, our race or status or demographic or background, but we are made as into one body and into one church, united under his rule in his purpose and within his kingdom. That is the vision for the church. And sometimes it's hard to see this because we are broken and, and we do struggle in this pursuit of peace. But sometimes we also catch glimpses of what this looks like and it's amazing. And I was thinking of when we had our leadership conferences, maybe you were there in 2018 or 2019. And you know, it's just how different people from various countries came together in one place we worshiped together, we prayed together, we dreamed together. And, and it was just amazing. And it's like this taste of heaven on earth. And even in our day to day, you know, every time we worship, uh, every time we gather, every time we come together to give and to serve, each time we choose love and choose peace with one another, it's a chance to see heaven breaking into our present. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. We are called to advance peace. And so, you know, let's think about this calling seriously. Um, I'd just love for us to have, to have time to reflect on how can we be peacemakers in our communities? How do we widen that embrace for others? The human race has shown time and time again the amazing things we can do when we are united. And what more when we, when we are united in Christ. So let's let peace rule in our hearts and be amazed at how God will move in power through a united church. And finally, the next couple of sections, we move on to our upward reflections. And so C is for conviction. We need to continually deepen our conviction in the faith. Verse 16 reads, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We are empowered to live a Christian life of love, forgiveness, and peace, and all of the above through God's Spirit at work in us. Paul shifts his focus uh, in these last two verses of, of, of this passage. Um, he shifts his focus on our inner spiritual life. And there's two kind of main parts to this verse, and I'll break that down. So firstly, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. The message of Christ referred to here likely at that time referred to the gospel message, but also Christ's teachings, which was passed down um, by, by the disciples. 
And so he says, let's dwell in this richly. Let's unpack this sentence a little bit. So the first word, let. Let means that, you know, this is something that we allow into our lives. God is not going to force himself in. Um, we, we need to be the ones to, to pursue and to be actively open to let him work in us. The second word is, you know, dwell. What does dwell mean? Dwelling means to stay or to make a home or to settle down. You know, Paul says that we are to let God's word make a home in our hearts. That means that it's, it's here to stay. You know, it's not renting, it's not here for a one-night stand, it's not booking an Airbnb in our hearts, but it's here to stay. And when we let God stay, it means that we give God the authority uh, to evolve us, to redecorate, you know, the, the, the furnishing in our, halves, in our hearts, to move the furniture in our hearts and, and make changes in us. And the thing is that we do this anyway, whether or not we realize it. Everything around us is fighting for a place in our hearts. Your family, friends, advertising, self-help gurus, WhatsApp forwarded messages, podcasts, media, the inner critic in our own heads. The question is, which message do we actually allow, let in and shape us? As the word of God makes a home in us, we become more and more convicted to live as Christ and to be obedient to Christ. But to what extent? Paul says, richly, not poorly, not with minimal impact, but richly and abundantly. When we let God's word make a home in our hearts, it's all or nothing. Sometimes when we read the Bible, what can be tempting to do is that we take the approach of what's the minimum standard or what's the minimum benchmark for me to you know, be a Christian or to live a Christian life. But Paul says that's not quite the point because we already read earlier that faith has already saved us. And so this is kind of the wrong question that we're asking. The matter in question is about the fullness of life that we live. And we receive this fullness through our obedience to God's word. It's kind of like building IKEA furniture, right? You can do it the hard way by chucking the manual or you can do it the easier way, maybe not that easy, but easier by actually reading and following the manual step by step. God's word is a manual towards abundance and fullness in life. Giving Christ that royal status in our lives leaves us nothing to lose, but everything to gain. The second part of this verse, he talks about worship, where we sing in worship. Singing is one of the ways that we allow the word of God to dwell richly in us because it requires all of our being in the process. It combines meaning because we sing about truth. Uh, it combines emotion, physicality as we raise our hands in worship, uh, and it combines this aspect of community as well as we worship together as the church. All throughout the Bible, singing is a key way of engaging with God and expressing our faith. Worship and word are two sides of the same coin of how we allow the Spirit to work in us daily. And so a question that we could ask ourselves here is, how can we continue to cultivate this rich relationship with Christ? Finally, the last reflection point, and we've made it. It's the end of seven reflection points. The last one, T, is for thanksgiving. We give thanks to God in all things. Verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The gospel message is simply this. 
God loved us and he came to earth and died in place of us for our sins in order that we can stand before God in a right relationship with him. Through his death and resurrection, we can be assured that sin no longer has power over us, but as a result, we can be transformed and live fulfilling and abundant lives. We are given this new identity and then we are empowered to love and live as one united church. Often it's said that each of our lives is the fifth gospel. And perhaps maybe for some people, it's the only gospel that they will encounter. But what does that really mean, right? Well, I believe it means living as Paul says here, that in all things, we do it in the name of Jesus and in thanksgiving for what he has done on the cross for us. I mean, if every day we, we just live remembering this, I live today in light of what Jesus has done. I speak and act in light of what Jesus has done. I treat others in light of what Jesus has done. I know who I am in light of what Jesus has done. It's almost impossible for the people around us to miss the fact that our lives are that gospel message. Thanksgiving acknowledges what God has done, admits our need for what God has done, and then it propels us to live differently because of what God has done. We enter his courts with thanksgiving in our hearts. And so let's end 2021 and enter into 2022 with thanksgiving as well. And a great way to do this, in a moment, we are going to take an informal communion together. And this is just a simple act that we can do often to remember what he has done through the cross and give thanks for that. I know that we sped through a lot of points and reflection questions in the last 20 or so minutes. Um, and so it's totally fine if you can't remember some or any, so what we are, we are going to do is uh, we've prepared some downloadable prompt cards for you to, to refer to. Maybe a link or a QR code might pop up on the screen. Um, and throughout these last days, five days of 2021, we'll be posting up daily questions around these seven areas to help us to reflect um, and end well and prepare for the year to come. I really encourage you to just you know, find some time, put aside some time, invite God into that space and reflect on these, maybe even writing down or journaling some of your thoughts. But before I end and we transition into communion, I just love to pray for us. Lord, we thank you for the year that has passed. We thank you that you've brought us to uh, the end of 2021. And we, we just thank you for how we can be assured in your love for us. We can be assured in our identity in you. Help us to reflect on the year and learn uh, um, more things about ourselves and to, to learn about how we can grow more and more into the person of Christ. Lord, we invite you uh, into this space right now. Uh, I ask that you would fill each and every one of us with your spirit even right now. And in this last week leading up to 2022, would you be just speaking to us and helping us to prepare our hearts and minds for what you have in store for us next year. And we can know that this is true, that whatever you have in store for us is good. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.